and you are listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting live from UBC Point Grey campus on the unceded Musqueam territory in Vancouver. We have a packed show today. It is going to be a lot of fun. We have a bunch of interviews. One of them is live. And before we get into that, I am going to do a quick shout out to the Vancouver Turkish Film Festival. So we previously had VIF, that's the Vancouver International Film Festival, and now the Vancouver Turkish Film Festival is coming up. And they have 19 great movies. It is happening um, from November 15th till the 17th. Um, also, they're going to be showing if you wanted to see Noah Land in VIF and you couldn't, good news because they are showing Noah Land in VTFF. And um, I just want to say that. I am a little biased because I'm Turkish, but it's always amazing. The movies are always really good, so make sure you check it out. Also, next week, we might have a ticket go away, so um, keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, now we're going to be getting into our interview with Connor Riopel. Hello, Connor. Hello. How are you? I'm awesome. Thank you. <laughs> Um, so Connor is a, uh, wait, why am I introducing, introduce yourself. Why uh, am I introducing you? Uh, yeah. Sure. <laughs> uh, so I'm a fourth year, um, of the BFA acting program here at UBC. Um, and I'm here to talk about the wars, our upcoming show. Yes, exactly. So the wars is actually uh, a book by Timothy Finley and it's been adapted by Dennis Garnham and the play is directed by Lois Anderson, and it's going to be happening on the Frederick Wood Theater from November 7th until the 23rd. So, um, Connor, do you mind telling us what The Wars is about a little? Sure. Um, so I'm just going to start with my first impressions about The Wars. So when we started, um, when we were told that we were going to be doing The Wars, my first impression was like, oh, we're doing a play about war. I don't mm -hmm. really want to do this. This isn't really my niche. Um, but we were assigned to read the book before we started oh, okay. um, with Lois. So she emailed us months ahead and was like, you need to read the book by Timothy Findlay before we, we do the play. Mm -hmm. um, and after reading the book, I was like, wow, this is actually really, really good. <laughs> um, and and Canadian and and beautiful. He, he does such a good job at um, taking these soldiers and turning them into people. Because mm -hmm. I feel like, for me at least, the reason I was skeptical about the process was um my idea of a soldier was macho and this certain yeah. kind of person but that's really was not the case and still isn't the case um especially world war one which is what the wars is about um people were just people they were really they were thrown into this they weren't all macho built up soldiers they didn't have the time to prepare and become that kind of a persona so a lot of the characters that timothy finley created in this piece are are very very personal very um different each unique and they're, and they're just people and that that's something that really um was eye-opening for me mm -hmm. uh reading this um so the play is about robert ross he is a, a sensitive young man who decides after the death of his sister to go off into the war. Mm -hmm. And it's his story, um, meeting people, dealing with um, the horrors and the joy and um, his love for the animals and, and all that kind of stuff moving through. Yeah. Nice. And I also uh, you forgot to mention you play you're playing private 
Cote? Yeah, Cote. Cote, yeah. Yeah, French, right? Yeah, it is French. Yeah, Private Cote, which is really cool. He's a really cool character. He's a little bit sassy, which I feel like I can bring my own little sass into yeah, that that's always fun um, yeah exactly uh and and it's really cool because my heritage is french canadian and mm-hmm. he is french canadian so i feel like i could connect with that um playing this character which was really cool nice and mm. you said you read the book right yes and it's a, it's a pretty old i think um the play was it written in 1977 or the book I think the book would have been 1977. Yeah, right? I think the Because play is the fairly play is recently. Yeah. Okay, yes. So the pl- the book was written in 1977 mm-hmm. and you read it. Yes. And so keeping those in mind, do you think that it's relevant now or not and how? <laughs> yes, I, I, I definitely do. Um, and like I said, this is something that I discovered through the process. Like going into it originally, I was like, why would this be relevant mm-hmm. now? Um, but with things like like climate change and and all these um, awful things going on in our world, um, the play's themes of finding hope in the darkness um, are are so important. Mm-hmm. And regardless of if it was World War One or if it's 2019, when we're talking about something like climate change or or um, or the war in the Middle East right now or or any of that kind of stuff, then. Um, It, it's still relevant. It's the same stories. It's the same kinds of people. Um, it's just in in a different context. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. And what are you most excited about when it you know comes to the play or? Your oh, uh, I'm excited about a lot of things. Yeah. It's a it's a really tech heavy show. Okay. Um. So there's gonna be snow. There's <gasps> gonna be there's a huge fabric that um, represents the mud. Okay. In the trenches, and it gets lifted up, and there's projections behind it. Um, there's, there's lights and sound like crazy. We, we interact with the audience. It's, it's all, it's really cool. Um, yeah. That sounds so exciting. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, So, um, keeping all of this in mind, what Mm -hmm. do you think that people who are going to watch this be expecting? Like, what should they expect? Um, I think that they should, they will be surprised as I was from Mm -hmm. the story. Um, I think too that they will learn a lot about World War One. something that I learned as well, um, is that these people were very, very, very young. Mm-hmm. And it, it's sometimes when you th- when I think of World War One, I'm like, oh, these people are, yeah, like I said, macho shoulder, soldiers who are, who are a bit older. Um, but you're going to see people who are in their 20s on stage. And believe it or not, that's the age that these people were, right? Oh, they were yeah. they were thrown into the war as young as as eighteen, and sometimes younger because people would lie about their age to go into the war. Yeah, so, that's true. so you're gonna see a lot of young young people going through a lot of um, scary, awful things, and I think that um, you will see that there's always light. That's so nice. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, oh. Okay. What I'm excited to ask you about is you said you are you're, um, French-Canadian. Mm-hmm. And so we recently learned that your grandpa was in World War II. Yeah. And you're playing a French-Canadian soldier. Yes. And so I was going to ask, um, did you... Wait, is your grandpa alive, by the way? He's not alive. He actually oh, okay. died before I was even born. So I, I've never oh, actually met him. Okay. But I'm sorry for your loss. That's I didn't okay. know that. <laughs> um, so do you feel... A deeper connection to this character um, because your grandpa was a soldier in World War Two, or what were your thoughts of this when you got cast as this mm. French Canadian soldier basically well I was I was surprised when I was first cast because mm-hmm. I'm not bilingual mm-hmm. I, I don't actually speak French um, okay. the biggest reason why I don't was is because My dad kind of stopped the cycle and didn't want to do French when he was young, mm-hmm. so then I never learned it. Um, and I was surprised why I was cast, and I think it's because there's there's somewhat of a, a French look that I kind of have. <laughs> um, so I guess I fit that niche. Um, and, and then after that, I was like, well, I should explore this. So yeah. I have to speak French in the show, so I had to learn it. Um, phonetically and I also have an accent so mm-hmm. I had to do all that and and I do really feel connected because it's my grandpa and I've been talking with my dad and learning bits and pieces about my grandpa's experience in in World War II so mm-hmm. so that's been really awesome um, 
and yeah, it's, it's, it's been a really cool experience because of that. And I feel very connected to both him and my character through this experience. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you were talking a little about your prepa preparation mm -hmm. of, you know, you need to learn an accent. So can you just tell us how, what was your preparation for this role like in general? I mean, you can mm. go into specifics if you want to. Yeah. <laughs> well, the accent is a whole other layer. Um, Lois Anderson, she, she directs at Bard on the Beach. She's a very, very successful mm -hmm. director. So we're so, so lucky to have her. Um, she has been really, really um, precise about the verbs that we use and the actions. So that's okay. something that a lot of actors use are, are actions to perform um, their, through their lines and through what they're doing is they use an action um, because it, it it's 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 hard to explain but mm -hmm, an action yeah. works and an emotion does not so yeah. so when you choose these actions she's very she's been very what is your action on this line why do you want this what do you mm -hmm. want um so that kind of is the preparation that we've had with lois is a lot of action work um we've also she got us to watch some movies um look at pictures see mm -hmm. all the kinds of things that people would experience in world war one because it is us on a stage. Mm -hmm. There is no, there is no mud. We're not um, two feet deep in water. Yeah. There's no dead, actual dead bodies around us. So we have to imagine all of that. So she, she took us through this kind of um, sense image, like uh, development through the first couple weeks, mm -hmm. and then, and then we got into what do you want as a character? What is your objective? What specifically is your action in each of these places? And then, and then we got into kind of creating this world of, of World War One. So that was all the prep. And then on top of that, I also had to do an accent, which um, I didn't start with the accent. I started just my normal voice so mm -hmm. I could kind of find flow. Yeah. And then I worked with a dialect coach, Adam, Adam Hem Henderson, mm -hmm. and he kind of taught me little things tricks and things that 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 every french canadian not every french canadian but <laughs> a lot of french canadians tend to 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 do when they mm -hmm. speak um and and also just the rhythms and the musicality behind it and then i kind of put that on top of my lines and then it actually added to the action and the intention and 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 the development of my character so it's really really cool and that's yeah that's yeah, kind of what i did that sounds a lot of fun. Again, yeah, yeah. I might be a little biased because I love theater. I mean, both watching it and doing it. Mm -hmm. So I just, anything you say, I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, I want to ask, I always ask this if I get the chance. Mm -hmm. um, how long were the rehearsals? So, like, from the time you got cast mm -hmm. to um, basically the opening night, how long is that? Um. So I'm trying to remember. We, we started rehearsals, I believe, right at the beginning of October so oh, it's okay. like a month it's been a month yeah yeah we we start I think it was September 30th we had our first read through mm -hmm. um and normally if you're working for a professional company it's it's less than a month yeah. so we're very lucky to get all this time to develop the show um at least in Canada it's that way and and so we I believe we have it's it goes kind of eight hours, then four hours, eight hours, four hours. Mm -hmm. We alternate um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay. And then on Saturday, we also do eight hours. So it's a six-day week. We rehearse six days a week. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's – so it's, it's a lot. Yeah, six <laughs> but, days a week. That sounds yeah. – Yeah, yeah. But this is our main thing right now. It's it's really cool with the acting program here. Um, it's quite integrated. So we, we do take a lot of other academic courses early on in the program. But once we get into our third and fourth year, mm -hmm. it's more um, – hands-on voice movement and and our performance mm -hmm. as as classes which is nice so right now as a fourth year you are doing this play mm -hmm. are you do you have anything else that you're doing yeah well we've got our voice and movement classes which we mm -hmm. have on our tuesdays and thursdays which they assign um projects for us we also will work with monologues text sometimes we'll bring in work from the show and okay so it'll kind of integrate mm -hmm. um back and forth um, yeah, so that's kind of all we're working on, just those three things. That sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, not much. Just come to the show. It's it's really awesome. I think people will be surprised, just like I was, mm -hmm. um, with how beautiful the story is and, and how just um, important it is mm -hmm. in... in, in 
2019. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And okay, just to remind everybody, The Wars is going on at the Frederick Wood Theater from November 7th until the 23rd. And um, I am really excited for this because um, we're doing a ticket giveaway. So if you want to see the show and you want to take someone else with you, you're lucky today because if you like us on Facebook, we are The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and send us a message we w we might pick you to you know yeah <laughs> so how we are going to pick okay i should have explained this much better i'm just really <laughs> excited <laughs> yeah. um, so um like us on facebook as i said the arts report on citr 101.9 fm and send us a message and the first person who sends us a message will be getting two tickets to see the wars <gasps> yeah and you can see connor and how many are there in the cast there's 16 of us big yeah, cast yeah you can see uh, Everybody, all 16 mm -hmm. of them, live. It's, I'm sure it's going to be amazing. Also, I do want to add, they have a post-show talk back on November 13th. So if you, if any of you have any questions that we couldn't answer today with Connor, you can ask them after the show on November 13th because I love post-show talkbacks. You get to, you know, interact with the cast and the executive team. Mm -hmm. it's, it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah and... Um, Thank you for being here, Connor. Oh, this of course. Was yeah, this yeah. is so much fun. <laughs> okay, I just cool. want to, before we go into the Adam PSA break, and after that, we have two pre recorded interviews, I want to remind everybody The Wars, Frederick Wood Theater, November 7th till the 23rd, and we have a ticket giveaway. Like us on Facebook, The Ask Report on CITR 101.9 FM, and the first person who sends us a message will get two tickets. Okay, and um, we'll be back in after this. Um, Pattern PSA. <laughs> Alexa, what's a world without music? Okay, here's what I found for world without music. Bleak and dreary and empty. Boring. Really boring. I wouldn't say dead, but... Really grim. A disaster. It's a world I don't want to live in. Luckily, we don't have to live in that world. And if keeping music alive in this world is important to you, come out to the fundraiser for CITR's music department. It's happening Saturday, November 9th at Redgate and will feature the musical stylings of local favorites, Ponytails, Sleepy Gonzales, and Kylie V. Doors at 8, $10 suggested donation at the door, though no one turned away for lack of funds. That's Saturday, November 9th. Come shake a leg and show your love for CITR's music department. Well, that sounds lit. Need a way to get around campus quickly? Don't have a bike of your own? The Bike Kitchen's purple and yellow bike share has got you covered. Come to our PNY volunteer nights on Tuesday at 6.15 p.m. to tune up bikes and eat pizza. After volunteering for six hours, you'll get a key that gives you access to over 50 bikes all around campus. One key to unlock them all. The trip from one end of campus to the next will never be the same again. The Bike Kitchen is located in room 36 of the UBC Life Building. It is open 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday to Friday and 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. on Saturday. Hi, I'm Silvana and we are here tonight with Leisha Rosnow, BC writer in the Vancouver Writings Writers Festival. Mm -hmm. Yep. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to CITR Arts Report. Le Leisha just had her event. It was called Prose Under Pressure. Prose Under Pressure. How did it go? It went well. It was with um, Michael Crummy mm -hmm. and Stephen Price. So I was a bit under pressure because the other two authors both just got nominated with the Giller Awards. Oh wow. Yeah, but they were great, and they were great. Yeah. Yeah, and then yesterday I had an event called Lives of Girls and Women, and that was with three mm -hmm. other female authors. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, what what was this event about? Like, I know you you have very good like poetry books. What is it about poetry that like is under pressure in this event? Well, this uh, the book I was representing for this was Little Fortress, which is mm -hmm. a Your new novel, mm -hmm. and um, the other two novels. All of our characters are under some sort of pressure, mostly from 
isolation. So in Michael Crummy's book, um, he's got a couple of siblings who are um, abandoned mm -hmm. in a cove in Newfoundland. They're orphaned in a cove in Newfoundland and they need to figure out how to grow up and survive and be on their own. And then um, Stephen Price's book is like mine, oddly based on an Italian nobleman um, <laughs> and his Italian nobleman. Um, he later in his life, in I think he was maybe 50, started writing a novel that he did not leave live to see the publication of it's called oh. the leopard uh so he died before it was published or be yeah before it was published and then it went on to become this this italian classic masterpiece and so um stephen was writing about the the sort of the pressures of uh i guess coming to one's art later in life mm -hmm. and feeling like he needed to get his life's work done before he passed. And then my novel is also based on a true story. And it's about three women who secluded themselves in a house in the Okanagan Valley for 25 years from 1935 to 1960. Um, and so the pressure there is, um, yeah, the pressure of, of secluding yeah. the isolation and the seclusion. And mm -hmm. yeah. That's really interesting. Um, what made you want to write about an Italian nobleman family yeah and I thought it was a very interesting connection how you know it's kind of like it has a very global outlook there's mm -hmm. like this like whole like Europe and then there's Cairo and then there's Okanagan mm -hmm. like how is it challenging to portray all those like connections that people have as characters in the oh. novel Absolutely. So the novel spans from 1906 to 1973, mm -hmm. so nearly 70 years. And then it goes, like you said, from Denmark to Cairo to Rome to Paris to London to New York City to the Okanagan and back again. Mm -hmm. um, so that was definitely part of the impetus and part of the fascination. So because this was a true story and this family left their personal papers to the archives in Vernon, I could go in and actually read letters and postcards and in some limited instances, journals. Um, and there was a lot of written material because of course it was the pre-digital age. So yeah. whenever people were communicating, even if they were just on an ocean liner saying, do you want to meet us for dinner? They'd be, you know, they wouldn't be texting. They'd be <laughs> sending like a little card and they'd saved all those things. So when I started writing it, my children were quite small and I was in Vernon, which is where I grew up, moved away from for 20 years and then moved back. And so part of me also felt a little bit like I was back in this place where as a teen, I I felt trapped and wanted to get out of and wanted to see the world. And I had, I'd gone- And as many very teenagers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I had, I'd traveled all over the place and started a family and moved back. Um, but with the kids being so small, your world gets really small around them. So it mm -hmm. was just so wonderful to go into the archives and then to go back in time with these women to a lighthouse in Denmark, climbing up the pyramids. You could mm -hmm. still climb them at the time, yeah. apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Controversial. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's really, really cool. So it is a, like, it is a way of like opening up your world mm -hmm. a lot and how is it that, like, these women have this, like, opening up or this, like, closing in space that you were, like, talking about? Maybe not in the same, like, well, it is, like, kind of, like, in domestic life if they're inside, like, a house, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. um, how is that, like, portrayed or how is that juxtaposed in your novel? Yeah, well, a lot of their movement initially, the main character, Ms. Yule's movement initially is um, the impetus is herself. So she wants to leave her small conservative farming community in northern Denmark and she sets out on her own. I can only imagine, suppose, that she must have been setting out for sort of um, more independence and more adventure and love and everything that we sort of set out into the world for. Mm -hmm. um, but then other things intervene and the things that intervene are uh, because of the era... Um, 
have to do with the restrictions I felt like some of the restrictions on women and women's movements mm-hmm. and women's bodies um, and there were a couple wars in there which again doesn't have anything to do with her personally but also really affects everyone who goes yeah. through them um, and so it was it was very interesting to me that she would have led, led this quite independent for the era um, mm-hmm. quite adventurous life for the era and then it sort of constricts down and down and down and I wanted to explore how that happened and why that happened and then um, one of the other characters Ophelia hers it's a different kind of constriction um, and hers is more I think hers was more like I think Miss Jules is more affected by circumstance cultural and the circumstances of her own life and Ophelia's, it seems like, was also affected by mental health issues mm-hmm. that at the time were probably undiagnosed or they didn't have words for. And now it would be things like perhaps agoraphobia or perhaps social anxiety or perhaps depression or okay. you know, okay, confluence of those. So I just wanted to explore psychologically how the women mm-hmm. could go from living quite big lives to quite tiny lives <laughs> that is very very interesting um how do you like manage to put yourself in like those type of shoes like how do you manage to empathize with those different like type of stories type of characters yeah i di- i didn't find it that difficult as a woman like i mm. i mean i did have to do quite a bit of research on the different places in the different eras so for example mm. um at one point I'm writing a, about a small city in Denmark and it's 1915 and, or something like that. So I'd have to, I'd have to figure out, did they have cars then yeah. in that part of Denmark? Um, so I had to research things like that and, you know, women's fashions, which was really fun. And um, even things like, okay, when did people start using phones and when was it yeah. common to have electricity in all the homes? But in terms of, Feel, even though it's a much more extreme version of um, being restricted and being isolated, I felt like even now, a hundred years later, writing as a woman a hundred years later, I could still emotionally connect with the feelings of having limits on um, the expectations of what I am supposed to do and can do. Mm-hmm. And I think partly... Um, the time of my life when I started writing it is the time of my life when I had two small children mm-hmm. and made the choice with my husband to be the person who stayed home. Um, but that choice is partly predicated on he was the person whose job made more money, uh, which is also this social yeah. gender-based yeah, thing, yeah, right? Yeah. So, it can spread to the system. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, so I made these choices of my own volition, but did I, you know, there's a larger sort of societal thing. And um, yeah, and then I think a lot of women feel a lot of pressure when their children are smaller. We kind of get more used to it. We get more sort of into our groove, but when your children are smaller, like about how to be a good mother and how to be a good parent and do this or don't Mm -hmm. do that. So how to balance your attention. Yeah. Balance your attention and how to also keep up your career and how and yeah so I I felt like the feeling of um, the feelings of restriction because of gender felt very easy to access and the feelings of isolation felt really easy to access. Mm-hmm. How about the feeling like as a mother? I know Ophelia has a daughter, right? Mm-hmm. It does she get like that type of feeling similarity for being a mother? Or do you think it was different at the time to like what you were experiencing? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I did read a lot of the letters between them, between mother and daughter, and also between uh, father and daughter and uh, husband and wife and all the f- sort of family letters. And um, those that were translated into English, the ones that were in Italian, I could not write read. <laughs> um, it didn't, some of the language that, they were using when they were writing to each other a much of the language was was different you know it's more antiquated more formal yeah but the kind of um relationships they were portraying and the feelings they had for each other felt very familiar it felt like 
oh, this is... Timeless. Yeah, timeless, exactly. Mm, yeah. That's great. That's nice. <laughs> um, I have one last very, like, something that I'm, I'm actually, like, I don't know how it works. Um, How do you, like, use a historical character, like, in a novel? Like, how is that, how does that process work? I think it works differently for every author who does it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that as an author, at some part of the writing process or the thinking process, I think a lot of us just make our own sort of ethics around it of things we will and won't do. Yeah. Um, because the reality is we actually have quite a bit of leeway as writers. Mm-hmm. And I think you see it most in films like biopics there's so many films based on true stories and real people and some of whom are still living that take great liberties with the truth yeah and um so i think it's i think it's up to every writer whether that be a screenwriter or a a novelist Mm -hmm. of what we will and won't do and the parts that we will and won't make up so some of mine were if I knew something to be true, um, which was often about more sort of pedantic details, like if I knew that they were in Paris in the fall of 1929, then I kept them in Paris in the fall of 1929. It didn't yeah. move them somewhere else um, for the sake of story. So places, dates, if I knew those to be true. Um, and then if I read things in letters... Um, that I knew to be true, I would use those as well. But then there were all these things that weren't in the letters. Yeah. And a really good example is there's very few letters remaining from the years there in seclusion from 1935 oh, yeah. to 1960. So then I gave myself a leeway to make things up mm-hmm. based on who I thought these people were psychologically from what I read of theirs before seclusion and after seclusion kind of try to use use the kinds of the ways they'd written the things they'd done the things they'd said um as a guide to the kind of people that they would then have been while in seclusion okay thank you very much thank you that was super super interesting (laughs) so your new book is called uh little fortress is Mm -hmm. it already out in the market yes it's available at fine bookstores everywhere okay so thank you very much this was lisha Ross now and thank you for having this interview. Thank you. Hello, I'm Silvana and we're still reporting about the Vancouver Writers Fest. This morning I'm here with Stephen Shabowski. Yes. And good well done. <laughs> we we've been practicing the pronunciation. <laughs> But um yeah, so like we're really happy to have him in the show. Arts report. Uh so how are you? I'm great. I, I'm here in Vancouver. I love this city so much. I made a movie here, so I have a lot of friends here, and I love the food and the people, so Amazing. I'm having a great time. <laughs> That's really good. What movie did you record here? There's a wonderful movie, uh, or I'm sorry, a wonderful book called Wonder by this woman, R.J. Palacio, who's Colombian. Um, <laughs> My nationality. Yes, your nationality. And I, I co-wrote and directed the movie adaptation of Wonder, starring Jacob Tremblay and Julia Roberts and Owen Wilson, and we made it right here in Vancouver. That's amazing. And we know, like, Vancouver is a very, like, big film hub, I guess. Yes. Everybody just oh, it's, it, here. It is, it is unbelievable how many productions are going on right now as we speak. Yeah, that's that's really true. Yeah. Um, so you've been a lot in that, like, film genre. Uh, what made you write a novel right now? You've, you're here basically promoting your, your new novel. Yeah, well, imaginary well, friend. Imaginary friend. The reason why I decided to write another novel. So, 20 years ago, I wrote and published the Perks of Being a Wallflower, yes. and and you know, at the time, since most of my work was in movies, I considered it something of a one-off. I didn't think of myself as a novelist at all. But then, when I adapted, uh, when I wrote the screenplay and then directed the movie version of the Perks of Being a Wallflower, I fell in love with book writing again. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with prose again, and I had such a wonderful time adapting my own book, I thought, you know, I want to try that again. And I had all these ideas. Mm-hmm. And so little by little, bit by bit, whenever I could find time, you know, I uh, between making movies and I got married and I have children now and it's been a very busy decade. Yeah. But like whenever I could get any time away, I would go back to this book. I, I just fell absolutely in love with writing this book, mm-hmm. Imaginary Friend. That's so nice. 
that you really like thought you were only gonna write one novel like what made you write that novel all the time well it, it, the origin of Perks being a wallflower is twofold first one happened when I was 12 years old so I really only wanted to be two things in my life I wanted to play baseball <laughs> and I wanted to be a novelist that's it um, and by the time I was 12 I realized I was never gonna be a baseball player so I switched to writing um, and I went to my dad who's the biggest reader I knew and I said dad I want to be a writer. I meant novelist, but I said writer. He said, well, great writers are great readers. And then he kind of left the room to like smoke a cigarette and watch the hockey game. Mm-hmm. It was good advice. He was trying to, he was trying to get me to read more. Cause I, yeah. but, but I didn't take the advice that way. I took it more as like a statement of fact, frozen in time. And I went, well, hmm. he knows that I don't read a lot because I'm a very slow reader, very slow. Um, I might be, I've never been diagnosed as dyslexic, but I probably am to a degree. And I said, um, all right, well, he knows I don't read a lot of books, but I watch movies a lot. Well, I guess then I read movies. All right, I'll write movies. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't think I was allowed to be a novelist. I don't think, I didn't think I could ever be a great novelist because I wasn't a great reader at the time. And so I pursued film. So, so when I wrote The Perks of Being a Wallflower, um, it was just a novel that was dying to come out of me. And when I was 26, I remember very vividly, I had two ideas. I had the idea of Perks with the boy and the older friends in the Fort Pitt Tunnel and the ants. Yeah. And then I had this other idea that I called Letters from a Friend. And what I was going to do was, was write a book um, compiled of letters. And I was going to claim that some high school kid had, been, had picked me out of a phone book and had been writing me letters for years. Because mm-hmm. I wanted to pass off that kid's uh, reality to have people, I guess, pay more attention to those subjects. And then on this one Saturday morning that I'll never forget, after a terrible breakup, I put those ideas together. Mm-hmm. And I and once I had the letters, once I had that format, I found Charlie's voice and it was off to the races. That's so interesting. That's how I did it. But again, I felt like it was a fluke. It was like, all right, well, I did that one and that was good. If I had a time machine, because it's 20 years now, yeah. if I had a time machine, I would go back and I would take myself by the lapels <laughs> and say, young man, don't rewrite movies for Hollywood for the next eight years. Please write another book. You're actually good at this. Yeah. And you've actually become a great reader. You're allowed now to pursue your dream. So for me, writing Imaginary Friend was a very, very profound experience to come back to the thing I've always wanted to do. And I promise you, it won't be another 20 years until I write another book. That's very good to hear. It is a horror genre. What's your relationship with that genre? That's very different from, I guess, Perks of Being a Wallflower. Well, it, it's different in the sense that, <clears throat> you know, what's funny is the people that know the Perks of Being a Wallflower mm-hmm. and the people who have read Imaginary Friend, they once they get to the end, they realize how close those two books are, mm-hmm. that they're both coming of age, that they're both books that, um, you know, go character first, that are really a lot more heart, you know, rather than the horror of adolescence, which I detailed pretty well in the first being a wallflower. Yeah. This is more of a, a horror of childhood or of um, a, almost like a supernatural bent to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually talking about the same themes, the same subjects, the same almost everything as it did in Perks with Imaginary Friend. That said, the reason for the genre switch mm-hmm. was um, many fold. First is, growing up, there are two genres I loved. I love coming-of-age stories, so I wrote The Perks of Being a Wallflower. <laughs> yeah. And I love Stephen King and horror. And so I tackled that. That's number one. Number two, I really wanted the challenge of it. Like, I grew up loving spooky stories, fundamentally. Um, some of my favorite things when I, was, when I was the age of Christopher in the book or Charlie in Perks. Um, you know, I loved The Exorcist and Psycho. And I loved John Carpenter's Halloween. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Uh, Stanley Kubrick and Stephen King's The Shining all these incredible visceral stories and I wanted to write something in that tradition that's really nice how was the process of like shifting from one genre to another did you feel like it was hard or no it wasn't hard actually because like I said I I love I happen to love the genre so (laughs) so what was what I found most difficult was I guess always being mindful of of my readers from the Perks of Being a Wallflower. Now, I know some of them just love horror and they'd be really open to it. But I didn't want to, because I feel a great obligation. I've, I've received so many wonderful fan letters over the years and I've run into people on the street or at writers' conferences or whatever. 
And so I know that I have a fan base, and it's a very lovely thing to have. That's so good. And, and so I wanted to make sure that I wrote something that was scary for people that love horror. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to make sure that I wrote something that was emotional and that dealt with certain issues, um, whether it's, you know, uh, trauma or it's, or it's mental illness, other things that people that have read The Pursuing Wallflower over the years have loved. So mm-hmm. that was the only tricky part, was finding that perfect balance. Okay, that's really good. Um, for the Writers Fest, I saw you have uh, some events that are around like the genre. Like, what do you talk about more or less in those events, or what have you talked about? Yeah, it's been you know it's funny. It's very different. Pretty much, I've been on tour now with my book for say three, four weeks. It's coming up on four okay. weeks, and um, and most times, whenever I go to a bookstore, or I go to a conference, or whatever, the questions are more about. Um, you know, uh, more about the Perks being Wallflower, and then they'll touch on my book. Mm-hmm. Here, it's been fantastic. They just keep asking me questions about, you know, how do you write a, a suspenseful scene? Or how do you blend heart with horror? Or how do you do, um, you know, um, you know, will there be a movie adaptation of this, etc.? So it, it's been more uh, about Imaginary Friend. It's been very gratifying, I have to say. That's good. Yeah, it's really good. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. Right. I, I love, I'll talk about the Perks being Wallflower for the rest of my life. It yeah. is amazing to have a book that has resonated so deeply, and I'm very grateful for that. But it's really fun to talk about the new one as of well. Of course. It's good to, like, balance both. Um, and, like, yeah, give attention to, like, what is new and what will be, like, coming up. That's really good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you said the book is not out yet? Oh, the book is out. In, the in, book is out. Yeah, it came out on October 1st. On October 1st. Oh, okay, perfect mm-hmm. for Halloween. <laughs> I'm not sure about here in Canada. It might have been a slight delay in Canada. Okay. But, yeah, October 1st. Okay, so, like... You guys, um, maybe you have to like check Indigo uh, or like well, especially in a while. if this is going out to people in Vancouver. I have been all over Vancouver yesterday signing books at Indigo. I've oh, signed, wow! I've signed copies of Imaginary Friend at three major locations, um, and yeah, so th- there are many copies all over the city. Amazing! So, like, you guys, if you want to like read that book, especially in October. Oh yeah! <laughs> there you go. Another question I have, do you see, um, when you were writing uh, Imaginary Friend, were you thinking, as you wrote it, that you were going to adapt it to a movie? Do you, like, visualize it in a, in a film way? Yeah, well, I just because of all of my training is pretty much in movies, yeah. I, it, is, it is impossible to not think about the film version of it as I write. Now, don't get me wrong, I didn't um, in any way, like, I wrote the book to be the book. I yeah. wasn't gaming it, I wasn't hedging just because I knew eventually there would be either, either a television or a movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. But yes, I, I, that's my brain. I'm a film director. Yeah. So I think in terms of shots. And, and people have told me that it feels that the book reads very cinematically. Mm-hmm. You know? But also, I would do like these fun little things, though, I, as a film director, where there's this one part where uh, this little boy, Christopher, goes missing. Mm-hmm. It's very early in the book. I'm not giving anything away. <laughs> it's literally on the spine, so it's, it's, I'm not giving it away. But I chose this technique where I used one word in the middle of each page. Where you, so you turn Christopher was, you turn the page, not seen or heard from for six days. Oh. So that felt very cinematic technique, even yeah. though it's prose. Okay, that's yeah. so that's very nice to mix both. Yes. Yeah, both of like I guess how you write and how you like visualize things. Yes. One last question: um, How do you find? the task of like getting into younger people's shoes like right now you said Christopher is around eight he's around eight so how do you like get into like that brain how do you like manage to think how the boy is going to act as you did with like in the perks of being a wallflower with like a younger teenager well I, I think for me it always comes from respect and empathy mm-hmm. I have a I have a pretty vivid memory of being young okay um all ages um and so there's that. So I have my own memories. Mm-hmm. And over the last 20 years, I have visited more schools. I have seen more um, young people and, and, and also doing the movie Wonder, you know, where I worked with nine-year-olds. Uh, it was a film about children, primarily. Mm-hmm. And um, so just exposure to kids, to remembering my own childhood, to a fundamental respect that I have for all people, regardless of how old they are. I know some people, you know, think that children should be seen and unheard. That is a philosophy. Yeah. I don't. I think that, um, like, one of my genuine heroes, Mr. Rogers, <laughs> uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, and he did his work from Pittsburgh, um, Pennsylvania, that that 
here was this man who spent all this time trying to empower kids to come to grips with their feelings. Mm -hmm. And so I've considered it an honor to be able to uh, carry on that fine tradition. It's all I want to do is help young people, um, you know, uh, kind of pursue their dreams or come or, or deal with um, some of their traumas um, and help them ultimately in a very empowering way express their feelings. Okay. Thank you very much. That's a very, a very important goal to have. Thank, so you. thank you very much for doing that with your work. Oh, you're very <laughs> welcome. I appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much for having us and for being in, our sh in the show with us. I, it, it was a genuine <laughs> pleasure. I, as, as we said, I love Vancouver, and you're, you're a very nice person. I wish you great luck. <laughs> thank in, you very in your, much. What was your major again? I loved it. Um, it's human geography. <laughs> human geography, which is the coolest major I've ever heard of. <laughs> I've never heard much. it before today, and uh, I wish you great success. That's very kind. Thank you very much. Of course. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Hey, what are you listening to there, buddy? Oh, hello. Didn't see you there. I'm listening to Moonchild. I love Moonchild, and I see they're playing the Biltmore November 10th. Are you going? I might. I haven't gotten tickets yet, but they're available on Eventbrite.com and at Red Cat Records. Hello, fellow CITR members. Are you guys talking about Moonchild, the alternative R&B trio from Los Angeles, California? Oh, hey, Nardwar. Why, yes, we are. I hear they're playing at the Biltmore Cabaret here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, presented by the MRG Concert, Side Stage Presents, CITR Radio, and our very own Discorder Magazine. Be there or be square, keep on rocking in the free world, and do 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 Hey, have you ever been curious about the intersection between art... And science? Then come check out Collisions Festival, an art science festival happening at Vivo Media Arts Center from November 8th to 10th. This year we'll explore the theme of invasive systems through collaborative art science works. The festival will feature visual art, multimedia installations, and interactive experiences, including a robot arm that creates paintings. Student prices are available. That's November 8th to 10th at Vivo Media Arts Center. For tickets and more information, visit curiositycollider.com. Hello, everybody. We're back, and we have Lua and Silvana in the studio with me. Hey, everyone. <laughs> so I hope you enjoyed the interviews that Silvana did. I did enjoy them. They were really good. <laughs> and <Thank you. laughs> I also hope you enjoyed the interview with Connor. Um, so I think we're going to pass on to my review of Bangara Dance's Spirit now. It was... Um, so Bangara Dance is an Australian dance company. And they performed Spirit in partnership with Dance House October 25th and 26th. And um, it was amazing. So <laughs> I just want to say um, it was one of the best things I've seen. I was so into it. And I was just, you know, I don't know how to explain it. But at first, okay, I'm going to be honest. At first, I was really confused about <laughs> what was happening as per, you know, generally abstract slash contemporary dance shows but then um after a while it just i was so into it the dancers they were so good it's just you could see they they had to you know act also kind of because i mean there weren't any lines or anything like that but they were at one point playing birds so they were birds I mean dancing they weren't playing but you know <laughs> anyways so I feel like it's hard to convey that you're a bird by wearing by only wearing a dress so you know if you don't have the costume and and or if you are not good at <laughs> acting out acting it out basically 
it's really hard and I want to say they did a really good job also I took a friend with me this was his first dance show and I'm really glad that this was his first because um I want to say this was the least confusing out of all the (laughs) dance shows I could have taken him (laughs) so (laughs) so yeah um Bangara dance spirit it was I honestly can't find the words to to describe this show. It was rich. It was um, passionate, and I I wish they weren't in Australia because I really want to see them again. And if they come to Vancouver again, that'll be amazing. Bangara dance, please come back to Vancouver. I know, I know it's really far, but please. <laughs> and um, I have some good news. If you're in Montreal or Brentford or Toronto or Six Nations or Ottawa or Chicago, Bangara Dance is actually on tour. And Vancouver was the first leg of the tour. So that was 25th and 26th of October. And they're actually performing tonight um, until the 2nd in Montreal and then they're passing on to Brentford and then to Toronto and then to Six Nations and then Ottawa Ottawa and they're going to United States too so if you're a um, US listener and not a Canadian one by any chance you can catch Bangara Dance in Chicago and this could be a great experience for anyone who has you know, seen a lot of dance shows who have never seen one because um, I've seen a lot of dance shows and I still enjoyed it a lot. It was amazing. I know I keep saying the same thing, but it was just I genuinely am speechless. And my friend had no experience with dance shows and he also loved it. And he could understand it so you know that you know that's important <laughs> when you can understand a abstract slash contemporary dance show because contemporary dance tends to be a little weird slash incomprehensible <laughs> this was not like that <laughs> yeah and um i mean even they um describe it as extra extraordinarily beautiful beautiful and invigorating (laughs) i can't speak today (laughs) um (laughs) so yeah it was extraordinarily beautiful and invigorating just the music okay oh i almost forgot to say the music choices were so good because in contemporary dances i feel like nowadays the norm is to pick a pretty monotone and like you know not that much of the music isn't that active it's the dancers who bring the life to the show mm-hmm. but with this the music kept changing there were like six to seven different sections i think there were yeah six to seven different musics and they were different from each other but somehow they were all connected and they weren't monotone or you know boring they were actually you got into the dance you know because the music was nice and (laughs) it was so good yeah the lighting too I always talk about lighting but the lighting was really good they chose it really well and yeah I I have not yeah I can go on about how good Bangara dance is (laughs) for like hours but Mm, yeah and by any chance if you're Australian and have never seen Bangara dance go see it they're amazing (laughs) yeah and yeah that's all and if you're not Australian still go see it (laughs) they are on tour check them out yeah just google Bangara dance um, spirit and you should have the results for their tour um, information yes and yeah Lua do you want to do our shout out? Mm. No. <laughs> of course I mean, you want to so do it. Yes, that's uh, true. We have a lot of stuff going on. It's a shout out to Blaze Federation and Firefighter Foundry right. Fundraiser. On November 7th, so next Thursday, Blaze Federation and Firefighter Federation is very... I think we talked about it last show. Did you? I, 
Um, well, basically, it's this really cool art event where um, the firefighters will be posing <laughs> for <laughs> artists to draw them. And, you know, they're also selling their calendars, you know, a firefighter Ooh. calendar. <laughs> <Classic>. <laughs> and if you're interested in that, you're interested in that. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's really my shout out. Um, yeah, where is it happening? Um, I need to check. Yeah, while you're checking that, I just want to say I forgot to add while I was um, talking about the Vancouver Turkish Film Festival, I forgot to say some important um, information. It's happening at the SFU Gold Corp Center for the Arts. Um, and it is from November 15th to 17th. Yeah, oh, and it. I forgot to say, so this event is called Blaze. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a figure drawing for the, uh, event like no other for in, mm-hmm. with the Federation of Firefighter fundraiser. It's happening again November 7th on Thursday from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m. And the best portrait, uh, the first prize winner, actually gets a $1,000 gift certificate oh. for Sting- Stingen Fine Jewelry. And it's happening at the Heritage Hall 3101 Main Street here in Vancouver. Uh, And the ticket price is $50. And it already includes basic drawing supplies like drawing paper, pencil, and erasers, and refreshments. So it should be a fun evening filled with art. And at the end of the day, you're, you're raising funds for a pretty good cause. And you get to see... A lot of shirtless firemen. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're into that, go. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a lot going on coming up next show. I hope you guys tune in. Yes. Um, including a gallery visit, more interviews as usual. Yes, more reviews, and also mm-hmm. next show we will be having a ticket giveaway for the Vancouver Turkish Film Festival. Also, if you know anyone forgot. I just would like to remind that right now, like this show, we are having a ticket giveaway for The Wars put on by UBC Theatre and Film. Um, Just go to Facebook, search The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, like us, and send us a message. And if you're the first person to send the message, you will get two tickets to The Wars. Um, If you don't have Facebook. Um, if you don't have Facebook, that is totally fine. We also have Instagram. Yes, it's Arts Report, CIT, CITR Arts Support. Yes, it is. So follow us on Instagram, send us a DM, and if you are the first one to send, you will win these tickets. Message us. I mean, even if you aren't the first one, I mean, you will never know if you are the first one if you don't message us. So yes, message right? us. Yeah. Uh, you have literally nothing to lose. So, Just slide yeah. into new DMs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you only have to win. So the inst- And you could win two free tickets for yes. a great show. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So the Instagram is Arts Report CITR and the Facebook is the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Just to remind everybody. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll yeah. see you next week. And I think that's it for us today. Yeah, bye. 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 Can't you see I'm broken? From a view of emotion, I'm mystified.